It weighed over five tons, approximately an average of 60 feet long, and lived 70 to 66 million years ago in the late Cretaceous period. It has quite commonly been nicknamed and commonly been called the T-Rex of the Sea. And for those of you who remember Jurassic World, the, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you know that it did in the Irex. Its name meaning, means Muse River Lizard. M-E-U-S-E. Muse River Lizard. And is common, it is known as the Mosasaur. Once, it once ruled the Cretaceous Seas. An immense dinosaur, Mosasaur can use its fearsome array of teeth to catch fish, birds, and other marine reptiles, even large great white even large even great white sharks. In fact, Mosasaur has a second set of teeth in its upper palate that ensures any prey sliding down its throat will not be able to escape. The Komodo dragon and monitor lizards are among the closest living relatives of the Mosasaur. And some other interesting interesting tidbits that I've found here. A lot of this, again, is based on the notes that I take and I say refer back to, in this case, Jurassic World and refer back to Wikipedia. So a lot of this may be from Jurassic World and from Wikipedia, and a lot of this from my notes and A lot of it from my notes and other things. Sorry about that. Just, I, I had a drink and something just kind of cropped up in my throat as, as, a, as a burp. And sorry about it. Sorry about it if everyone heard it. <clears throat> my apologies to everyone. It is a lizard. It is commonly called the lizard of the, like I said, of the Meuse River. M-E-U-S-E. The genus live. Oh, this is different. Yeah, I wrote this down as a difference. The genus lived from about 82 to 66 million years ago during the camp, the Campanian and Maastrichtian stages of the late Cretaceous. M-A-A-S-T-R-I-C-H-T-I-A-N. Maastrichtian or Maastrichtian stages of the late Cretaceous. The earliest known fossils... The earliest fossils known to science were found as skulls in a chalk quarry near the Dutch city of Maastricht in the late 1700s, which were initially thought to have been the bones of crocodiles or whales. One particular skull discovered around 1780, which was seized during the French Revolutionary Wars for its scientific value and transported to Paris, was famously nicknamed the Great Mammal of Maastricht. In 1808, a naturalist, in 1808, naturalist Georges Cuvier concluded that it belonged to a giant marine lizard with similarities to monitor lizards, but not, but otherwise unlike any animal known today. This concept was revolutionary at the time, and helped support them, helped support then developing ideas of extinction. However. Cuvier did not designate a scientific name for this new animal. This task was completed by William Daniel Conybeare, C-O-N-Y-B-E-A-R-E, in 1822, 
when he named it the Mosasaur in reference to its origin in fossil deposits near the Meuse River. The relationship between Mosasaurus and modern reptiles are controversial, and scientists continue to debate whether the closest living relatives are monitor lizards or snakes. Well, I get that. I get the debate there. I can see why the closest living relatives could be monitor lizards or snakes. I guess it would be more that you could cons- you could cons- you could uh, relate them to monitor lizards as opposed to snakes because mosasaurs, if you've seen Jurassic Jurassic World or done any kind of research online, mosasaurs have flippers where they evolved when they evolved from the three small. Three, three foot or three inch small lizards that once lived on land and because they were so small they would scamper and run away really quickly to get away from larger predators and they would scamper so fast and run away so fast with their feet that they would seek refuge in the water and in the oceans and at that time during the Cretaceous when Mosasaurs and other dinosaurs lived there was one big massive continent called Pangaea which was dominated by massive plains long expanses of plains that stretch for god knows how long bridged on on certain areas by forests and mountains hadn't mountains hadn't developed the way they are known today mountains hadn't developed as much or to the point that they are known today so they so how the mosasaur evolved was like i said from these lizards these lizards would seek to get away from the predators that were hunting them and they would scamper and they would run really fast and they would seek refuge in the water and in the oceans, lakes, rivers, wherever. And they would, and eventually they evolved from their three inch, three foot length to, to these five ton, 60 foot long beasts that would live in the ocean. And they were the... Like, I, like this episode began to say, they are the T-Rex of the ocean. They, there's nothing that could even come close to them. Traditional interpretations have estimated the maximum length of Mosasaur to be up to 17.6 meters, 58 feet. Now, every time I did research to try and find the length, I always found conflicting information, and you've heard some of that as thus far. So kind of judged by what you've heard as to being the correct information. Making one of the largest mosasaurs, well, one of the largest mosasaurs, genera, its skull, which is either, which is either broad or slender, depending on the species, was equipped with robust jaws capable of swinging back and forth and strong muscles capable of powerful bites using dozens of large teeth designed for cutting prey. Its tail was long and ended in a, pa- in, in a paddle-like fluke that bent downwards. Mosasaur was a predator that had excellent vision to compensate for its poor sense of smell and a high, metaboli- and a high metabolic rate that suggests it was warm-blooded, an adaptation found in other, an adaptation found in other mosasaurs but no other squamates. The classification of Mosasaur, Mosasaurus, was historically problematic due to an unclear diagnosis of the type specimen. And back in the time when it was initially discovered, it was hard to diagnose. It was hard to identify, diagnose. As a result, over 50 different species have been attributed to the genus in the past. 
A re-diagnosis of the specimen of the tight specimen in 2017 helped resolve the taxonomy issue and confirmed at least five species to be within the genius within within five species to be within the genius. Um, see, I love I love Freudian slips like that. So, and you feel like an idiot when you make a Freudian slip like that, but it gives people and your listeners something the, the ability to laugh at. Like, oh my god, this <laughs> kind of stuff like that. It's amusing for me to go, oh, what the heck was I saying? Anywho, species still class- nominally classified within Mosasaur are planned to be to be reassessed in a future study. Each species was was each species was variable with unique anatomical features differentiating them from the robustly built another Latin word that I can't pronounce M period lowercase h o f f m a n n i i and if anyone of you wants to try and pronounce that go for it because if I try I'm just going to butcher it Fossil evidence suggests that Mosasaur inhabited much of the Atlantic Ocean and the seaways adjacent to it. Continents that have recovered Mosasaur fossils include North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Western Asia, and Antarctica. A good large portion of them. Considering that during the Cretaceous period in the time when the Mosasaurs existed and when dinosaurs existed, the 80 plus percent of the planet was dominated by ocean and also they also had a Pangea but 80 plus percent of the planet was dominated by ocean so that makes sense why most of the continents that currently exist on earth have Mosasaur fossils this distribution encompassed a wide range of oceanic climates including tropical subtropical temperate and subpolar climates if anyone's curious, because a lot of times I'll see those words of the climate types, and that you know those climate types, and I will go, "What the what the heck are they talking about? Like, what are those? What? I, mean, I get I get it, tropical and subtropical. That's duh, but I get that. But what the heck is a what the heck is a temperate climate or a subpolar climate? Well, there's a polar climate, the North and South Poles, and there's a subpolar climate. And there's also a temperate climate. So what exactly classifies as being a temperate climate right in between, right in the middle? And a lot of you, if anyone like me, a long time ago when I found this out, if anyone wants to know what a temperate climate is, <clears throat> most of the cities in the Pacific Northwest are temperate climates. Um, most of them. There's some cities down in Oregon, on the Oregon coast, and some cities down in Oregon that are not temperate climates that are a bit hotter than temperate. But Seattle, in the Seattle area, that they are surrounding Seattle and the mountains and stuff, that is a temperate climate. And Seattle is classified as a temperate climate. So I always wanted to know what those differences meant and what classified one over the other as being one being a temperate climate and one not being a temperate climate or other, other types of climates. So there's a little bit of a clarity if you needed it. Mosasaurus was a common large predator in these oceans and dominated in the dominant genus positioned at the top of the food chain. <clears throat> Scientists believe that its diet would have included virtually anything. There's nothing that would that could even compare to it that could even take it down. 
So it makes sense that his diet, diet would include anything. It had its free range of anything. It was the top of the food chain, like the, like it just said. It likely preyed on bony fish, sharks, cephalopods, birds, and other marine reptiles, including sea turtles and other mosasaurs. Well, it didn't have any other predators besides itself. Which, if you think about it in the history of the Earth, and the geological and paleontological and archaeological history of the Earth, it's not... There are several species that exist on Earth that have preyed on itself. That have hunted itself and preyed on itself. Humans are not only one of them, but there are other species, as you've just seen, that have preyed on itself. Mosasaurus being one of them. Its arrival in some locations, such as the Western Interior Seaway in North America. Let me, let me, let me, uh, I didn't, I didn't write this down, so let me give you a little bit of information of where the Western Interior Seaway was. The Western Interior Seaway, also called the Cretaceous Seaway, was a large inland sea that existed during the mid to late Cretaceous period, as well as the very early Paleogene. See, I didn't write this down. I wrote, you know, refer to Wikipedia. So this is coming from Wikipedia. Splitting the continent of North America into two land masses, Laramidia to the west and Appalachia to the east. The ancient sea stretched from the Gulf of Mexico and through the middle of the modern-day countries of the United States and Canada, meeting with the Arctic Ocean in the north. It's, It's at its largest it was 2,500 feet deep, 600 miles wide, and over 2,000 miles long. There is a graphic here, and I'm going to put it on the, I can put it on the podcast's Facebook page, and also on the podcast's Discord, of where the, the seaway was, of where the Western Interior Seaway is. Or here, where it is, where it was. The earliest phases of the seaway began in the mid-Cretaceous when an arm of the Arctic Ocean transgressed south over western North America. This formed the Maori Sea, so named for, for the Maori Shale, an organic rich rock formation. In the south, the Gulf of Mexico was originally an extension of the Tethys Sea, T-E-T-H-Y-S, the Tethys Sea. By the late Cretaceous times, Eurasia and and the Americas had separated along the South Atlantic and subduction on the west coast of the Americas had commenced. Identified as the Laramide Origine, the early phase of growth of the modern Rocky Mountains. The Western Interior Seaway may be seen as a downwarping of the U.S. continental crust ahead of the growing Laramide Rockies mountain chain. In the, t- in the time, the southern embayment merged with the Maoris, the Maori Sea in the late Cretaceous, forming the complete seaway. A little bit of information on the western interior seaway, just so, you know, as this thing is going on, just so as you're learning more about, as and as am I learning more about the Mosasaur, you know where I'm talking about with the Western Interior Seaway. Mosasaur faced competition with other large predatory mosasaurs such as Prognathodon and Tylosaurus, which are known to feed on similar prey. 
Though, though they were able to, to coexist in the same ecosystems through niche partitioning, there were conflicts among them, as an attack on Mosasaur by Tylosaurus has been documented. Several discovered fossils illustrate deliberate attacks on the Mosasaur individuals by others by another of the same species. Infighting likely took, likely took place in the form of snout grappling, snout grappling, you know, biting with their mouth. You know, well, biting with their mouth. Where else would you bite someone with? Where else could you bite someone with? So, of course, it's biting of the mouth. See, slip of the tongue, like I was talking about. The first remains of Mosasaur known to science are fragments of the skull discovered in 1764 at a subterranean chalk quarry near Mount St. Peter. Yeah, near around 1780, the second more complete skull was discovered in the same quarry. A retired Dutch army physician named John Leonard Hoffman, John Leonard, John Leonard Hoffman, took a keen interest in the specimen who corresponded with our famous biologist. Petrus Camper regarding its identification. Hoffman, who had previously collected various Mosasaur bones in 1770, presumed that the animal was a crocodile. Camper strongly disagreed. And in 1786, he concluded that the remains were of an unknown species of tooth whale. He published these studies of the fossil that year in the, Phil in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London which was considered to be the most prestigious scientific journal in the world at the time. As a result, the second skull gained international fame. During this time, the fossil was under the possession of, of Canon Theodorus Johannes Goding, who owned, the who owned the portion of land it was discovered in. Goding was struck by its beauty and took every measure to conserve it, eventually displaying it inside a grotto behind his house. Maastricht, an important Australian fortress at the time, was captured during the French Revolutionary Wars by the armies of General Jean-Baptiste Kleber in November 1794. Four days after the conquest, the, fossils, the fossil was looted from Godin's possession by the French soldiers due to its international scientific value. Under the orders of Kleber, carried out by, by political com commissar Auguste Lucie de Fréchine, according to the according to an account by Godin's niece and heiress Rosa, Fréchine first pretended to be interested in studying the famous remains and and corresponded with Godin via letter to arrange a visit to his cottage to personally examine it. Fréchine never visited and instead sent six armed soldiers to forcefully confiscate the fossil under the pretext that he was ill and wanted to study it at his home. Four days after the seizure, the National Convention decreed that the specimen was to be transported to the National Museum of Natural History in France. By the time it arrived at the museum, various parts of the skull were lost. In, 18, in, an, in an 1816 reclamation request, Rosa claimed that she was still that she still possessed two of the missing lateral parts of the skull that were not taken by Frechine. However, the fate of these bones is unknown, and some historians believe that Rosa mentioned them in hopes of negotiating indemnity. The French government refused to return the fossil, but recompensed, 
but recompensed Goding in 1827 by exempting him from war taxes. There is a popular legend regarding Goning's ownership of the specimen and a subsequent acquisition by the French, which is based on the account of geologist Bartholomew Fahuse de saint Fon in his 1798 publication. According to the Fahus, or Fauhas, F-A-U-J-A-S, Fauhas? I don't know. I can, I'm probably mispronouncing that. I guarantee I'm mispronouncing that. Was the original owner of a specimen, which he purchased from the quarrymen and helped evac- excavate. When the news of this discovery reached Goding, whom Fauhas painted as a malevolent figure, he sought to take possession of the great valuable specimen for himself and filed lawsuit against Halt against Hoffman, claiming his rights as landowner. Due to Goding's possession, position as a canon, he influenced the courts and was able to force Hoffman to relinquish the fossil and pay for the costs of the lawsuit. Unlike its renowned contemporary, the first skull, here called TM7424, was not seized by the French after the capture of Maastricht. During Fauhas and his three colleagues' mission in 1795, the oh, this is okay. This is a better part here. Yeah, I, I, there's a there was a gap in my notes there that said go down to the part about the marine lizard. Before the second skull was seized by the French in late 1794, the two most popular hypotheses regarding the identification were that it represented the remains of either a crocodile or whale, as first argued by Hoffman and, and Camper, respectively. Hoffman's identification as a crocodile was viewed by many at the time to be the most obvious answer, but there, was no, but there were no widespread ideas of evolution and extinction at the time, and the skull superficially resembled a crocodile. Superficially resembled a crocodile. Moreover, among the various Mosasaur bones Hoffman collected in 1770 were phalanx bones, which he assembled and placed onto a gypsum matrix. Historians, onto a gypsum matrix. Historians have noticed, noted that Hoffman placed the, the reconstruction into the matrix in a way that distorted the view of some of the phalanges, creating an, an illusion that the claws were present which Hoffman likely took as further evidence of a crocodile. Camper's argument for a whale were based on the following. First, he noted that the skull's jawbones had a smooth texture and that its teeth were solid at the root, similar to those in sperm whales and dissimilar to the crocodile's porous jawbone and hollow teeth. Second, Camper, not- Camper obtained Mosasaur phalanges, which he noted to be significantly different from those of crocodiles and instead suggested paddle-shaped limbs, which were, which were another cetacean feature. Third, Camper noted the presence of teeth in the, in the ty- pterygoid bone of the skull, P-T-E-R-Y-G-O-I-D, bone of the skull which he observed are not present in crocodiles, but are present in many species of fish. Lastly, Camper pointed out that all fossils from Maastricht are are marine fossils, 
which indicates that the animal represented by the skull must have been a marine animal. Because the erroneously because he erroneously believed that crocodiles are entirely freshwater animals, Camper concluded by process of elimination that the animal could only be a whale, which was incredibly off and incredibly wrong. As everyone who has ever seen a picture of a mosasaur can tell you, or knows, that a mosasaur is shockingly different than a whale. And, oh, side note here, everyone, everyone calls orcas, another nickname for an orca, another nickname for an orca is a killer whale, and an orca is not a whale. As, as, um, as several cruise members and people who are nuts about nuts and study and love marine biology that can tell you that a that an orca is not a whale, an orca is a dolphin. A, an orca is the largest dolphin, and I could be wrong there. Please correct me if I am. Uh, an or an orca is the largest dolphin on earth. But yeah, killer whales are not whales. They're just because they're large in size. They were called whales just because of their size. And again, I could be wrong in that assumption, but that's what I understand that to be. So please correct me if I'm wrong in that assumption. That's just a little... I saw something about a whale. I read that thing about the whale, and I kind of got sidetracked, so I thought I should explain that. Get off on a little tangent here. There's a little bit more here. In, 19, in, 1719, in 1799, Camper Jr. discussed his conclusion with a French naturalist... Georges Cuvier. Cuvier studied MNHNAC9648, which is a label, I guess was a label for the specimen. And in 1808, he confirmed Camper Jr.'s identification of a large marine lizard, but as an extinct form unlike any today. The fossil had already become part of Cuvier's first specimens, speculations, and the possibility a species going extinct, which paved the way for his theory of catastrophism or consecutive creations, one of the pre- one of the predecessors of the theory of evolution. And as many people know, what hasn't been, I guess, scientifically definitively proven, although there have been evidences on evidences, there has been evidence of people's uh, people showing it on of on Earth that an asteroid did strike during the time of the dinosaurs nearly ending the dinosaurs. So a lot of nearly, completely nearly ending the dinosaurs, completely ending the dinosaurs. So it has been evidenced that an asteroid did strike and an asteroid did um, did did render the dinosaurs extinct. So that's, and at the time that uh, Georges Cuvier and Camper were trying to identify the Mosasaur, the evolution of science at the time they didn't know they didn't know extinction they didn't know much about extinction and evolution and they didn't really have that much ability or couldn't have pro- uh, couldn't have proven it at the time they couldn't have proven it as definitively as they wanted to or as definitively as we have even though binomial naming system and even though the binomial naming system was well established at the time was well established at the time Cuvier never designated a scientific name to the new species, and for a while, it remained being referred to as the great animal, great animal of Maastricht. A binomial naming system. Let me see if I can bring that up. 
also called binomial nomenclature or by bi- or binary nomenclature, is a formal formal system of naming species of living things by giving each a name composed of two parts, both both of which use Latin use Latin grammatical forms, although they can be based on words other in from other languages. Such a name is called a binomial name. A binomial, binomial name or scientific name. The like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the the uh, the orca is called Orcinus orca. O R C I N U S orca. Orcinus orca. And it's actually like I said, it's not actually it's not a whale. Um, and this just jumped on me. So the first, the first. Oh no. Yeah, see, I said refer refer to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia just jumped on me. So, I'm kind of hunting down the page where I left off. The American Discoveries. There we go. This and now, now Wikipedia is completely blind on this, and it's not helping. So I wrote I wrote this down, and this is from my notes. The first possible recorded discovery of a mosasaur in North America was of a partial skeleton described as a fish. In 1804, by Meriwether Lewis and Clark. In 1804, by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, their corps of discovery during their 1804-1806 expedition across the western U.S. It was found by Sergeant Patrick Gast on Black Sulphur Bluffs near the Cedar Island, alongside the Missouri River and consisted of some teeth and a dis- disarticulated vertebral column measuring 45 feet in length. Four members of the expedition recorded the discovery in their journals, including Carl Clark and Gass. Some parts of the fossils were collected and sent back to Washington, D.C., where it was lost by where it was lost before any proper documentation could be made. Paleontologist Mike Everhart of the Steinberg Museum speculated that the fossil may have been that of a mosasaur, possibly mosasaurus. Although I don't see how there's possibly... Oh, mosasaur... Okay, got it. I was, I was just saying I don't see how this and then and, and the second I said it, like, it just clicked. So mosasaur, possibly a mosasaur was the whole the whole species and then a mosasaurus was part of that species. The earliest description of American fossils firmly attributed to the Cranus Mosasaurus was made in 1818 by naturalist Samuel L. Mitchell of the Lyceum of Natural History. The described fossils were of a tooth and a jaw fragment recovered from the marl pit from from Monmouth County, New Jersey, which Mitchell described as a lizard monster of saurian animal resembling the famous fossil reptile of Maastricht implying that the fossils had in, had affinities within the within then unnamed holotype from Maastricht. Cuvier was aware of the discovery but doubted whether it belonged to the genus of his discovery of Mosasaurus. Additionally, another foreign naturalist unreservedly declared that the fossils instead belonged to a species of Ichthyosaurus. I-C-H-T-H-Y-O-S-A-U-R-U-S. Ichthyosaurus? In the 1830s, zoologist James Ellsworth Decay 
Another member of the Lyceum re-examined the specimen. He included, he concluded that it was indeed a species of Mosasaurus, and was largely and was considerably larger than the other holotype, making it the largest fossil reptile ever discovered in the, two, in the continent at the time. Whether the two belonged to the same species or not remained unknown until 1838, when the German paleontologist Heinrich George Braun Heinrich George Braun designated the New Jersey specimen as a new species and named it Mosasaurus Dekai in honor of Decay's efforts. However, the specimen was lost and taxon and the taxon was declared un, and the taxon was declared something. I'm not even gonna butcher this word. These two words, anyway. There are some additional fossils from, the New, Jer- from New Jersey that have been historically referred to as MDK, MDK, but paleontologists have re- re-identified them fossils. So there's a lot of things that have gone on about paleontology, and to me, paleontology and dinosaur history is extremely interesting. I love the stuff, and to, and in my mind, Jurassic Park, thank you, God bless you, Michael Creighton, for creating Jurassic Park. No, he did not create the the movies, he created the books which spawned the movies. Uh, God bless you, Michael Creighton, for creating Jurassic Park, because Jurassic Park is my Star Wars. It's my Star Trek. It's my fan, my geek boy fandom. I love that stuff, and I love it to death. And there's a lot more to this, and there's a lot more in my notes here, and a lot more stuff. But I won't bore you with all the facts as much as I bored you already. So, thank you all for sticking around. Thank you all for listening. Hey, guys. Check out the best cruising podcast and YouTube channel for everything cruising needed, everything cruising enjoyed, everything you love about cruising. They're experts. They know their stuff. And they're beyond awesome. You'll love the podcast. You'll love their YouTube channel. They're the best cruising podcast out there. Check out Fantastic Cruising on the podcast, on your favorite podcast devices and favorite podcast programs. And also check out Fantastic Studios on YouTube. They are beyond great. Give Matt and Kimbra a follow. Give them a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and every other podcast you choose. They are beyond awesome, and you won't be disappointed. You won't be upset in any way, shape, or form. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their website for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.